You're listening to the New York Encounter podcast. The 2023 New York Encounter just wrapped up, and we'd like to thank the over 400 volunteers who came to New York to help make it possible. We also want to thank everyone who made a financial contribution to the New York Encounter this year. And if you haven't, it's not too late. You can always head to newyorkencounter.org donate and contribute today. Good morning, everybody. Welcome. Uh, to the encounter, in the encounter's behalf, I welcome all of you. Uh, and I want to, I'm going to turn my phone off. You should do the same. Uh, I want to um, thank, especially the Enroute Foundation, uh, for the support that is given to the encounter and for the sponsoring this presentation. With us, we have today uh, three that I consider friends of mine. Uh, starting from my left, Father Julian Carron, then Amidar, uh, and Aaron Riches. Aaron is a professor of theology at Benedictine College. Ami is the CEO and founder, correct, of Idealist, a software company here in New York. Can I call it software? That's a nonprofit, but yeah. Nonprofit software company of New York. And Father Julian Coron, which is actually a contradiction because non-profit and New York, usually. <laughs> and then Father Julian Coron, who comes uh, to visit us often, and he comes from Italy. He is the president of Communal Liberation, the Fraternity of Communal Liberation. The reason of our being here today is because Father Julian has written a book, um, called Where is God, which we thought was particularly interesting in order to, even though with a surprising approach, in order to tackle the theme of the New York encounter. If you allow me to briefly uh, tell you why I think it is particularly interesting, and then uh, we'll, we'll throw ourselves into a friendly conversation which means a conversation between friends. It doesn't have to be particularly polite, but a, a friendly conversation. I, in the same way that I ask them, I, inv I invite you to think of that moment in your life where this question came to be. Where is God? And it's not a question that one asks himself in terms of philosophy or theology, but in terms of experience. Because there are moments in life in, wh in which one remains aghast, without breath, because something happens that is perceived maybe overwhelmingly, because perceived as shocking, that leaves you with, a question, with questions that ultimately drive to this point here. At the show on Friday night, um, there was a piece on September 11 that was a collection of reactions after that moment there, the moment in which the towers fell, in which one feels, in the words of Don DeLillo, he wrote an article the next day, in which everything is not okay. And therefore, we are almost pushed into this adventure of understanding into uh, what that moment has done to us, shaken us, thrown us into this uncertainty that comes out of the fact that the certainties we thought to have are not able to actually respond to what happened. Delilo wrote, I want to understand what this day has done to us before politics, before history, and before religion. This catastrophic event that has changed the way we think and act. <clears throat> this moment that often fills us with fear and he continued, this time that we are trying to name the future, not in our normal, hopeful way. 
but guided by dread. Don DeLillo was writing. What Father Julian proposes with this book is a journey from being aghast to being agape. The possibility from journeying from this point of uncertainty, not to a certainty that we've invented, but to the possibility to remain in awe, in wonder, he writes in the book often. What Father Julian proposes in the book is this journey, not another certainty. It's not enough to say, I know where God is. It's not enough to read the philosopher or the theology book. It needs to be able to contribute to that particular moment that if you took the time to think about happened in your life. To me, that moment most recently came, and then I opened the conversation because I wanted for our speakers to begin from this point of experience. It became uh, quite recently when a, a friend called me um, aghast of the fact that she could not, um, it looked like she could not bear children. And in that moment, it's not that she opened the conversation saying, where is God? But it, it was um, an overflowing of, then what is the meaning of my life? What is the meaning of the desire of generating that I had? Why did I marry then? So like all of these questions that we have when, when the circumstance leaves us aghast are this question, containing this question, what is God? We're interested in starting from this point personally and then seeing, interrogating the author of the book, whether we can go to a position of being agape in front of something that seems to be negative, in wonder in front of that. Ami, do you want to start? I guess I don't have a choice. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> what is God, Ami? Well, to my left, obviously, but... Um, <laughs> I, I, um, I think that, that um, you know, when you pose that question, it made me think that I don't usually, when I see the, that, those three words, you know, where is God, I don't usually put a question mark at the end. I think I usually put an exclamation mark at the end. There is God. In other words, I don't really expect God to intervene in my daily life. Um, I don't expect to see God. You know, so I, so if, if something bad happens, um, I don't think God is accountable to me for something bad that happened to me. I don't think it works in that direction. Um, and so I think it's more the wonder of seeing certain things um, you know, my, my wife um, is about to give birth in 10 days uh, from now. And um, yeah, she's there somewhere. Um, well, you should clap for her. I, I, I was very little, very little involvement, but um, <laughs> the, um, she's about to give birth. And having gone through this process and, and just watching this evolve in the last few months, beginning to see that baby kicking and moving, um, to me, it's there is God and not where is God. God is there. God is that. Um, so I'm not sure it's a good answer, but, but it's not really, I don't really ask that. I just, I see it and I wonder at it. I live agape, I guess. And when do you feel yourself aghast? At what people do. I, I, um, that example you gave of September 11th, um, the decision of, of 19 people to get up in the morning and, you know, hijack airplanes and do that, that leaves me aghast, but it's, it's them exercising their freedom to do that. Uh, unfortunately, in that way, 
but I don't, I don't, I don't blame God for that. That that is their decision, and that leaves me aghast at what people are able to do with their God-given talents. Thank you for listening to the New York Encounter podcast. The New York Encounter is a three-day cultural event that takes place every President's Day weekend in Manhattan. Every year, we bring together speakers, put on exhibits, and host musical shows, offering opportunities for education, dialogue, and friendship. Following St. Paul's suggestion to test everything and retain what is good, the Encounter aims to discover, affirm, and offer to everyone truly human expressions of the desire for truth, beauty, and justice. To learn more about the New York Encounter, visit newyorkencounter.org. Before we move to Aaron, should we get rid of freedom and as a possibility to get rid of that, those moments of being aghast? Well, I don't think we can choose, right? We can't choose to get rid of certain actions that people will take. It's the whole package. And I don't think it's worth it. I think freedom is what makes us human, and I would not give that up. Uh, it's, it's, it would be too, too much to give up. Um, it's why we're here this morning. It's why I married my wife. It's, you know, it's everything. So I'm not going to give that up if I can. But is the, and I wanted to, to begin even asking this question to Father Julian, because ultimately, I'm going with you, Aaron, don't worry. <laughs> ultimately, this question of freedom, as, because you are saying, so like there are moments in our life in which we remain aghast because of the freedom of other people. If we could actually, and much of our um, political and social conversation is all about this, in the sense of like trying to limit no, uh, the damage that we can do to one another. It looks to me that, Father Julian, you have um, an interest in, in freedom, or you don't see, um, and this is part of what I see in your book, you don't see this the direction to move forward, that you see in freedom in itself, in as much as it has all of these risks, something that is profoundly valuable. Mm -hmm. What is freedom then? So like, and why is it so important to you that it's worth not taking the route of limiting each other's freedom? Uh, to come back to the first question, what is God? Well, uh, I can, uh, to answer to this question implies that I can see in some way, in some place, in some face, I don't know. And I uh, would start uh, with an example. If we change God for something as invisible as God, like, like love, what is love? Can we identify what is love? We can identify that love is real, not only some kind of invention or creation of ourselves. If when we can identify somebody in which love is happening. And we can see yeah, it's easy, very easy to identify when our world, life is happening. When somebody's in love and goes to the office and people see that this person is changed. And the change can be visible, touchable. We usually ask, did you fall in love? 
is a creation of ourselves or is an event in ourselves? We are out uh, of the reality when we are, in, and this is what freedom is at stake. It's only what I am seeing in this person, a mechanical phenomenon of the cells, something chemical, reduced to chemical, or I can be sure that this person is loved. What is the difference between a mechanism or a phenomenon in which somebody is entered in life so powerfully and changed visibly my life? Because the question is not God or son or love. The problem is if there is something that is invisible and in a moment we can see with our eyes, not with our imagination, not as a result of a logical syllogism, so there might be. But something that is happening and we are pushing to decide if there is something else, or there is love, or there is only a mechanism determined by the biology of the psychology or the background, the cultural background. The problem is at this level, because many times when people ask me about God, I ask you, you don't go this night to the bed without asking you. But are you sure that your mother loves you? After what we can speak about the Trinity, about if God has become man or other. But the question is, can you be sure that you have been you are being loved, that you have experienced in the relationship with your mother or in the relationship with your beloved person that you are receiving love and giving love to others as, a, as an answer. And in this moment, it is not possible to download this interpretation of this phenomenon only to another one. We need to decide. Freedom is at stake in this experience because we can not say, maybe uh, I have a headache uh, or he didn't uh, have a good night. And as a result of this, he has in this mood today. You can try to reduce this phenomenon to some mechanical explanation. Congratulations. It is, it is okay for you. I, I am happy. You can try to reduce it. And it's the same with God. Because can I ask somebody where is God? As, can I ask somebody what is love? It is the same, the same level of the question. Because God is as invisible as God, as love. Can I identify some place in which I can see love at work in the reality? Or is something that is only for people who, who are out of the world, out of the reason, out of the freedom, only people who are invited for some kind of religious ideology. This is our question. 
because it's not only about God, it's about love, it's about freedom, it's about uh, justice, it's about everything that is untouchable, but with which we are dealing in the daily life. Every moment we have deciding about this kind of issues. Every moment, without taking into account ourselves, but we are dealing with us. And for this reason, when somebody who lived in Palestine 20 centuries ago, they identify in somebody something, some kind of newness that when they saw him at work, in the way he looked at people with that newness, that it was so different at the common mentality, so contrary to the common mentality, that it was a scandal for them. But who is she? Who he is? We have never been seen something like that. And when they started to see this, he, they thought, God is coming to us. Why God? There are visionary people. There are only people who have some kind of mental illness, some kind of fragility, mental fragility, or it is somebody who has to recognize in front of themselves something that is was so enormous, so beyond compare, so unbelievable, but at the same time so real, so touchable that they cannot recognize that something greater than all human beings it was a stake. And they were challenged in such a way that they had to decide in front of him. It's impossible to be in front of somebody like it and can be spared freedom. Like when we are when we are, are in love. We cannot be only to see from the balcony. Like a visionary people. We are struggling because the attraction of this present is so big that I cannot be only a spectator of the film. We are part of the film. We become protagonists of the film. We were many, maybe distracted with some kind of different interest from some kind of different uh, worries or concern. In a moment appears somebody who became the first thought, the dominant thought, according to Lopardo, the dominant thought when we awaken in the morning or when we are distracted in the, in the south way. It's inviting. It's an invention. Somebody can Everybody has to decide with freedom. Because it is impossible for us to say that this is a phenomenon and afterwards freedom is another thing. And I decided, no, 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 it's some kind of unity that we cannot be involved because this is so attractive for me that I can't I, is, I am taken away from the comfort zone that you were saying before because I was very happy in my life I was content with what but in a moment appears somebody And we are 
taken away from the comfort zone. <laughs> Does it exist? Or in only a vision for fragile people who have to invent God to console himself by the difficulties of life. Something like that? Everybody has to answer. This is a journey. I don't have to answer for you. If you are in love, I don't have to answer for you. If you meet somebody in which you can see some, some newness, in, I don't have to answer for you. I don't want to convince anybody. Anybody is challenged by this event. I have to decide. And this is the fight that Jesus has introduced in history. If somebody has seen him at work, life is struggling. And we can decide. Is it visionary? Is it creativity? Or is it a fact? You are listening to the New York Encounter podcast. The Encounter is entirely volunteer-run and donation-funded. And as you probably realize, it takes a lot of money every year to put it on. What that means is that if you want The Encounter to continue its work, we need your help. Head on over to newyorkencounter.org donate and consider making a monthly donation to sustain The Encounter in its work. Thank you for your support. Aaron, you have to follow that. <laughs> <clears throat> I can only speak from the, uh, the clear reason for which this book arrived um, to me on January the 28th. It was the same day that we learned that our parish priest had killed himself. And um, that, that line from the September 11th section of the, uh, the girl from Hong Kong, waking comes and the flood of what can't be undone. And for me, personally, this overwhelming question that couldn't be undone, especially to look at my, my children, who ever since we arrived from Spain almost two years ago, we attended this church with this priest. And my, my, my son served mass with him. And um, you, you kind of, can't help but feel this terror at the thought that the first funeral that your children will go to will be the funeral of their priest who they loved, who had taken his own life. What the, the book provoked me to do is the hard work of adhering to that reality um, as a way of testing my faith and to find where is God in this situation. I'll give you just one concrete, maybe two concrete things. The first thing is my experience was I wanted to flee. I wanted to go exactly in the opposite direction. I don't want this to happen. I don't want this to mark my children's history in what it is to be, be Catholic. Also the flood of, of then doubting who this priest was, right? You couldn't, you couldn't help it. The first 48 hours are filled with, he must have been somebody that I didn't think he was. And rage at the fact that why that church? Why couldn't we have just started going to a different church? If only I could change the circumstances. But, you know, as Father Julian says in his book, you know, an event is something that's completely undetermined, but then once it happens, it's done. It's there. It's written in history. It's, it's a, it's, the factor of reality now. I didn't want my children to know what had happened. That was the first experience I had in my own heart. But my wife is wiser and smarter than I am, and she, of course, told them the whole story. I mean, not all the gruesome details, but she told them what had happened. And therefore, as a family, we were able to go to the, the holy hour that very night, to the, the visitation, uh, to the funeral, and to the... Um, the, the, the internment, the, 
The thing my wife said to me 48 hours later seems to me to be absolutely clear. After kind of uh, 48 hours of it, just anxiety, she said to me, Aaron, you know, I realize now that when Mr. Evans called and told us that Father Harkins had killed himself, that that was itself an act of charity. That he thought of the people that he loved in the parish, and he picked up the phone and called us. So even the most horrible news, I can't deny that it came with an act of love writ within it. So many other things that came from the, this overwhelming darkness of experience, which of course we're not finished living through, but just to, 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 say, to point two more things. The, the students from Benedictine College that went to this church, they waited at the graveside after everybody left, after the, the, the priest's family left, after all of us went to the, the lunch. And when the gravediggers came, these students said, please give us the shovels because we would like to bury our priest. Which seems to me a gesture of adhering to reality to the very end. But if I'm asked how the question, where is God, struck me in such an overwhelming way with that aghast, I can't equalize this, I want out. You know, it's the day that I learned in this, this message that, the, that this priest had died and how. But the clearest evidence that I have of there is God happened also at the graveside. My daughter, who's nine years old, she, was, she wanted to meet Father Harkin's parents. And so right beside the casket, I walked up with her. And she was crying. She, she was crying, but then she started crying inconsolably when I said, Edith, this is Father Harkin's mother and father. It was like she, she kind of got even more everything of the, the tragedy of the situation. And she started crying unconsolably. And Father Harkin's own father stood up and he bent over her and he wiped her tears and he said, sweetie, it will be okay. I promise you, it will be okay. And either that it will be okay means nothing and is just a piece of sentimental emptiness or it's like the end of the Four Quartets by T.S. Eliot. All shall be well, and all manner of things shall be well, when the tongues of flame are unfolded into the crown knot of fire, and the fire and the rose are one. That is a judgment about the nature of reality that bursts forth from a certainty that this man had seen. And because of that, it gave me a whole new gratitude for the whole experience. You know, Aaron, before I, I ask Father Julian to follow up, you're a man of faith, you're a professor of theology, but this event is a slap in your face. You're talking yeah. about the, the contribution, you've, you've, contribution that you've received from, from the book is to adhere to reality to the very end, No, you said. And uh, you exemplify with your daughter saying she wants to go to the very end, no? Go and meet, let's go and meet the, the, the father. So, the challenge, like, to the question of what is God and the challenge, this slap that you receive there and then this uncertainty and you're talking about, no? And you, at the beginning, mentioned the fact that receiving the book at the same thing that this happened. Mm -hmm. So I'm intrigued on what about why, so like aside from a physical coincidence, it happened at the same time, why do you say that the journey that Julian proposes on this book here actually helped you to uh, adhere to reality to the very end, which actually is almost imitating your daughter in a sense. Right? Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I think two things. In the first place, the book came and it was the work that I had to do. I had, you know, how many days, two weeks in between classes that I had to read this book while I was grieving um, the, the death of this priest. So in, in that very material way, it was, what was, it was what was accompanying me. And of course, every page of the book 
fittingly accompanied me as a provocation. Um, there's one, the antithesis to Christianity is the flight from reality, right? That, that's what one of the things uh, that Father Julian says at one point. But this question of the slap, um, this, these are three of, for me, the most, most beautiful pages. First, an account of the unbelievable miracle that this little people, the Jewish people, who had a history which objectively is just a horrible history, you know, into exile in Babylon. And that's where they write the beginning of Genesis. That's where they make this incredible judgment that at the heart of all, there is goodness, and that the goodness of God is the thing which grounds the goodness of all reality. And then, as a way of explaining this, Father Julian says, uh, rem remembers an event with a, a kid who comes after an accident and says, I don't believe that uh, there could be a God because there's been this car accident. And Father Julian says to the, to the kid, okay, you get slapped in the face by a stranger in the street, what do you do? And the kid says, I slapped the guy back even harder, fine. You get slapped by your mother when you get home, what do you do? He says, I ask her, why? And this why, this is like the question, where is God? Where is love? Why is this happening to me? The, 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 the bond of love produces not an immediate reaction, but a question, right? Which ultimately becomes the question of Jesus in Gethsemane. You know, if it's possible, let this cup pass for me, which then drives all the way to the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But all of this, Father Julian says, was to manifest the absolute bond and adherence of the Son to the Father, right? And as long as the bond is not broken, reality is affirmed, right? As long as the bond is not broken, the will of the Father is accomplished. And as long as the will of the Father is accomplished, that evil, suffering, death is not the last word, rather to the contrary, love is the last word. And that, that's, that was the, the, the key part in the book that just made me say, well, if, 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 if my own God, Jesus, could say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me, and go to this length, then we will too. Now, this is a crucial question because uh, I was very struck by what you were saying because uh, many times we can arrive to the very end of the reality only <clears throat> with a companionship. Yeah. Because many times we are so afraid of the reality that this too overwhelming, too mysterious, no, as to enter at to the end, at to the very end. For this reason, without uh, having a companionship, no? at the end, uh, you cannot introduce yourself or your children into the reality. Exactly, yeah. There is no education process without having the possibility of education reason up to the end, because otherwise reason is only a rationalistic use of reason. That is only uh, a partial use of reason. So this is not reason. This is a reason that is blocked by our fear. Mm -hmm. Right. So the question is, if we have some companionship, that allows us to use reason up to the end because it's only in that moment that we are using really freedom, that we are really human beings according to the real nature of my reason. And the same with freedom. So it is possible to be very, really human in the daily life, in, in, in the event normally that we are suffering or we are dealing with uh, at every level in the life without being accompanied by a presence. Each life, uh, a child, 
that can enter in the darkness of a room quietly with the hand of his mother. Mm -hmm. When a little child arrived to bump into the darkness of a room, he escaped away because he is full of fear. He's afraid of the darkness. But he, the mother comes in that moment and takes him with her. He can enter quietly because he is a company. And this is crucial for us because many times we are usually live reality under this, uh, we can say, ideology that comes only for, from fear. For this reason, only if we are so open, so affection, so affected of somebody else, that we can see our reason abroad, 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 according to his real dimension of reason. And this is the relationship between freedom and reason and freedom and reason and affection. Because we have this, only because I am in love that I can overcome the limit of my reason. And if I am not able to subdue reason to the experience of being loved, in a moment I block my reason because uh, I cannot understand that somebody loves me with this gratuity. And, uh, and I started to think about my logic according to my logic and not thinking, following my experience. So without experience, we are always blocked to the common mentality, according to the normal pattern of living. Uh, but there is something, thanks God, that happens in life, this is an event that is the real knowledge, the real opportunity of knowledge something according to the real nature of this that we are trying to know. And in this case, we can recognize that only in this way of using reason, freedom, affection, we can really generate <coughs> people that cannot be dominated by fear. Because all the consequences of this fear is the, the, the walls, the discussion, the fight, because people are so fear that the fair reaction of you with your children is to, to take away from something that is uh, unpleasant as the death. Mm -hmm. But you can help your children to be introduced to the reality only because you have gained this possibility of enter yourself in the reality. Mm -hmm. And in that moment, you became companion to your children, as the, as the father, as the teacher, as the priest, or whatever. Without having this experience, this personal experience, it's useless. We can say the common mentality, the, path, the, the general pattern, but as many times, general pattern is determined only by the measure that we can able to do or to enter in. At the end, education is really failed because education is introduce somebody to the total reality. And only we can do that. We can overcome the conflict that appears afterwards in, in the surface of the society. But we can do this only moralistic, a moralistic solution.
Because I cannot say to somebody who is fear, who is under fear, not to have fear. Mm. It's impossible mm. that with effort of myself can overcome fear. Fear is overcome only by a presence, like the child with the mother. And only we accepted this. We had the, uh, the, the grace of being loved, of being in, in companion, as a companion, somebody who introduces in this kind of experience. It's impossible that we can overcome the limit. For this reason, we are always uh, touching the key issues of our times. Because many times we are distracted with the phenomena that are more successful in the TV or uh, the dominant part of the, uh, our conversation. But it's difficult to find people that want to go to the depth of the problem to solve them from inside of the problem, of the, of the difficulties. And for this reason, the only thing that we usually do is to escape from these difficulties. No? That you had the first reaction about the issue was to take away your children from the difficulties. This is the general reaction. And we, are, we have trouble in, a, in, a, in our job. We have to change the world. If we are trouble with our wife, we have to change wife. If we are trouble with the circumstances, we have to change. We are always thinking that the solution of our problem is to escape. But this is a defeat. Yeah. We can go away defeated, but at to the next, at to the net, at to the net, because it's a network of defeat. The question is, if we are really interested in our life in order that to deepen the question and to answer to this question from inside, in, in order that not to be condemned to escape from one to another and to another and to another, because it's when we are um, living our life, no? Unfortunately, life becomes something unpleasant for this, because instead that every opportunity that you have seen is the opportunity of entering more consciously in the reality. Many times these challenges are um, the occasion to see our defeat, instead of seeing the victory in the reality, not in my room. Mm -hmm. In the reality, in the circumstances, in the job, in the marriage, in the friendship, in the relationship with the other, in the society, in the politics. Otherwise, there is no possibility of hope, reasonable hope, but with something that is, depends on something I don't know. Uh, somebody to the power, some, the, 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 the power man who can resolve the question that we are not able to resolve. This usually makes more dangers, more uh, difficulties than he can solve, because it's not this the question. Mm -hmm. And this is what is at stake in the society today, in this moment of uncertainty. Hold on, no, 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 hold on. Can I just say, say Go ahead. One, one thing there? The, the thing is, too, I think that um, when we change the circumstances, the, the other kind of tragedy that happens, it's a defeat for the moment, but then it becomes a defeat for our whole history. In, the, in this concrete, in this concrete, uh, in this concrete circumstance with, with, with this priest, we had 
for a, a year and a half a certainty about who he was, right? And then this thing happened that we couldn't understand. And the visceral reaction of the parent is to, is to, run, is to run away, protect your children. But if you, go, if you go all the way, you start to find that, or at least in my experience in this particular event, is that the further I went into the reality, the more it verified the certainty I had before. He was a holy man. He was, he, he was, he was a great priest. All the, all the gestures of love that he had before were saved because we went to the depth of the tragedy. If we had cut ourselves off, if we had retreated, we would have had to negate all the certainty that a year and a half had generated. And so that's the only way to get him back in any meaningful way, and we really did. But there is a way we meet somebody like that. Who is he? Who is this person? What is the origin? It's the same question that comes out in front of Jesus, but now in front of somebody who doesn't escape from the reality. Yeah. What is the reason? Who you are? You are listening to the New York Encounter podcast. The Encounter is entirely volunteer-run and donation-funded, and as you probably realize, it takes a lot of money every year to put it on. What that means is that if you want The Encounter to continue its work, we need your help. Head on over to newyorkencounter.org donate and consider making a monthly donation to sustain The Encounter in its work. Thank you for your support. I mean, you are the agnostic one of the group. <laughs> Don't know. Yeah, maybe. Uh, but you keep, you're not ideological agnostic if you want or atheist or anything, but... And you keep very strange company. <laughs> and it is not keeping strange company not only in the fact that you are here, but so like you have friends like Aaron, and I consider myself a friend of you too, um, who are saying this thing that fear is only overcome by a presence. No? And um, so I have a deep curiosity to understand from your point of view, not the, the why you keep this company, aside from giving you the opportunity to actually enter into this dialogue between Aaron and Julian, uh, but uh, what do you see? So like when, when you hear somebody say that fear is, is only overcome by a presence, he was basically saying before, both of them were saying before, love is not a concept, God is not a concept, it's a presence. No, um, that you can, we cannot talk about this in intellectual terms. We can only talk about presence, about fact, about. So, and what, what sense of, of self, what sense of you do you have? No, what can you see even in your life that fear is overcome by a presence if, if in any place, no? And any other reactions that you may have? Uh, well, first of all, um, you know, Aaron has been a close friend for 15 years, and so just listening to this story is just hard to say anything beyond hugging him. Um, I think that, you know, I think all of us have all kinds of fears all the time. We each have our, you know, our pet fears, our big fears, our strange fears. Um, and I think that we overcome them, if we overcome them, um, in different ways. So yes, it can be um, looking out uh, towards God. It can be looking inwards uh, for that. You know, it's interesting if, you, if a person is alone on an island and she feels fears uh, and she overcomes them, so that presence can be clearly something uh, out there or, or, or in here. Um, the other thing I think with fear is that sometimes we, we talk too much about overcoming fear as opposed to living with that fear and moving forward anyway, right? There, there's this obsession, I think, um, I don't know, in the US, I mean, this idea of success, I will overcome my fears. Well, sometimes you don't and you keep going anyway, right? I mean, you guys have experienced this probably, that this idea that you either feel fear or you don't, and if you feel fear, you're paralyzed, and if you don't feel fear, you can act. I think you can act with fear, and I think it's okay to sort of understand that the fact that we're afraid of something doesn't mean that it must stop us. We can, we can keep going uh, with the fear. 
And then one, one sort of semi-related thing you said earlier, um, you know, Father Coron said, Father Julian said, this idea of falling in love, and it always strikes me, I can't, I can't hear that phrase without always thinking that it's so strange that we talk about falling in love when in fact what it feels like is rising in love, right? Why do we, why do we talk about falling in love when in fact when that happens, what we feel is that we rise, right? We don't, we don't fall, we rise in love. So I'm not sure how that's connected to the issue of fear, but I think that, um, I don't know, I think, yes, we, we can feel it from, from a presence from the outside, but I think very often it's not even a question of overcoming that fear, it's a question of feeling that you have enough within you or outside uh, to move forward anyway, if that makes sense. The, the way in which Julian speaks about religiosity, uh, and even for you and me especially, it's a very, and I, I will use this word, it's unusual, the way in which Julian speaks about religiosity. Uh, because he's, because he's not concentrating or he's not speaking about certain behaviors, certain traditions, certain way of doing things, even certain way of praying. He's talking about um, the possibility of a relationship, you said, uh, he said at the beginning, with an invisible presence. No, and uh, many ways he equated like, but a, an invisible presence that is as real as the love that you have for your wife. And it's, it's like it's, it's, it's worth, I mean, what does it mean for us, for us that we are um, awkwardly religious, let's say, like everybody knows who are religious. But uh, so like um, we believe in an invisible belief. So like we, we desire our relationship with an invisible yet present. And he compares in the same way that you talk about God, you talk about love. What do you think about that? About which of those things? Sorry. About... Choose. <laughs> um, about God. Well, I'll... I'll, I'll, oh, I'll, start, I'll start with love, since, I mean, you're agnostic. Yeah, yeah, that, you cannot... Well, agnostic is, is a funny word. Anyway, um, uh, the love thing. La last night we, we were having dinner, and I, I um, mentioned that the, you guys have, have all you know, heard of these um, sort of phonetical atheists, right? People who basically, they, they know that God doesn't exist, right? Um, and to me, those people are, are, are strange because they're essentially religious, right? How do they know that God doesn't exist, right? They have this strange faith. They know that God doesn't exist. Like, how, how do you know that? And the, the thing that, that was, that was that's strange to me, and that last night I made that connection when we were talking, is that it's one thing to say, you know, um, you don't believe in this religion or that religion, but to say that God doesn't exist would be like someone saying, you know, you can be married to this person or that person, but I don't believe in love. And that's just weird to me. It's like, wait a second, so maybe there are different ways of reaching the same way. There are different religions that manifest in different ways. But to say that you don't believe in any of this would be like saying that you don't believe that even though you haven't found love, does that make more sense? Maybe, you know, you have someone who I haven't found love and therefore I don't believe in love. It's like, no, you haven't found it. It doesn't mean it doesn't exist. Keep looking. Uh, other people have. Love absolutely exists. And the fact that you haven't found it doesn't mean that it doesn't exist, if that makes sense. So... Thank you. I wanted to close asking Julian a question that relates to what Ami is saying and what Aaron said before. And, and he said it from a positive point of view. Aaron has said it from a negative point of view. Aaron just said, the fact that you haven't found love, that doesn't mean that love exists. There is a perhaps there. So like the fact that you haven't found, therefore I can extend the analogy, although you pretty much said it, if the fact that you haven't found God, that doesn't mean that God doesn't exist. And at the same time, Aaron was talking about the experience of, of being aghast that introduces a sense of doubt in your relationship with the God that you found, you know? So like, and these two things, doubt and perhaps, you know, um, 
fills us, I mean, puts us in a position of uncertainty, of questioning, of, and this is profoundly discomforting for us. Mm -hmm. I think that we would all agree. So I wanted to ask you for the final comment on this thing here. We many times think that uh, we can uh, deal with the reality in an objective way when we can know in the reality without that the freedom has to be involved. This is uh, the modern way of thinking. No? I want to arrive to a certainty uh, that can eliminate doubt. That means can eliminate freedom. No? Because if this freedom is a stake in the knowledge, that means that can be somehow a doubt. And it's true. Because when I try to explain before love, it's true. Somebody can, in the same, before the same phenomenon, can say, I have been, I am, I have been loved. And the other can say, perhaps it's love. Maybe it's love. Why not a mechanism? It's true. There is no possibility of knowledge without decision. If I recognize in experience that is different a mechanism of myself and the mechanism that comes from the encounter of somebody who has a kind of relationship with me because one kind of movement starts from the encounter of somebody and the other stuff from the, my own creativity. And this is what we need to, to decide in every moment. Uh, when somebody, uh, some mother gives a lap to a, to a slap to a children, now is not politically correct, no? Uh, the children can ask why, or the children can think that uh, is cruel. But usually, if, if he has a relationship with the mother, the real question is why? Because the slap cannot eliminate completely the relationship. It's not enough, let us laugh, to eliminate the relationship. So he had to decide between only cruelty or love that I cannot understand why this lap. And this is what is always at stake in the relationship with the reality, in the relationship with everything is part of the religiosity. If the religiosity is blocked in a moment or the religiosity is open to everything, up to the end, up to the mystery, because we are not able to block the reason. To block the reason is, uh, the, we can say, a mortification of the human research, of the human reason, because the reason is looking for some total explanation. We, at the end, it's impossible that we can love or we can have a relationship without asking ourselves, but do you love really me? Do you really love me or not? 
Somebody can love without being certain of this. So it's not maybe can be love. Or do you need certainty to involve yourself in the relationship with other up to the end? It's only it's lacking only a, a little piece of the reality. Maybe I cannot deny that there is something, but maybe do you love me? Or is it necessary this certainty to involve completely yourself? Otherwise, we need to mortificate our humanity. So that means that I can not enjoy really to be loved and to love. Because the same that I can have to the other, if the other loves me, I can say, I am loving the other. I am really loving the other. I love really the other. But it's only a mechanism or is a real donation, a real uh, attempt of love, of loving the destiny of the other. Not only trying some kind of advantage of love, but something really that the advantages in the same of inside of the experience of love because love is the gain that I have received from, from love and this is that made the difference in the way we are uh, answering to this kind of question because all life is implies completely in all these issues that we are talking about. And we can be blocked and life become another thing, or we can be totally involved and life is another thing. And in this decision, that this decision depends what kind of life we are really living. Thank you for listening to the New York Encounter podcast. We hope you liked what you heard. If you did, please consider posting a review on whatever platform you listen on. Those reviews really help the podcast reach more listeners. If you share the podcast on social media, please tag the New York Encounter. On Twitter, we're at NY Encounter.